Did you know nuclear energy is America's largest full-time source of climate-friendly power? In fact, nuclear energy provides about 50% of the country's carbon-free electricity. That's almost as much as all the solar panels, wind turbines, hydroelectric dams, and all other clean energy sources combined. Energy Northwest is a premier provider of carbon-free electricity in the Pacific Northwest. Its mission is to provide safe, reliable, cost-effective, responsible power generation and innovative energy and business solutions to its public power members and regional customers. To learn more about Energy Northwest, visit our website at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with Newsday is Clearing Up, and with me are my colleagues from California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney and Abigail Sawyer. And today we have a very special guest, our outgoing editor, publisher, Mark Orenshaw. Uh, Abigail, you set this up. I'm going to turn it over to you, but we've got a chance. We've got Mark before he leaves. He has to answer our questions that we've been holding on to for all these years. Yeah, well... Welcome, Mark, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us in your last week as publisher at News Data. And uh, after a long and storied career, it's storied even if only because you wrote a lot of stories and (laughs) (laughs) had a lot to do with a lot of stories. So uh, really appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me. It's it's an honor to be your your guest today. And and uh, just for the record, I yeah, this is my last full time week. I will be doing some part time work with uh, news data for the next few weeks, but um, we'll we'll call this the sort of official retirement from full time week. How's that? Uh, that works for me. I'm I'm glad you're not completely abandoning us. And <laughs> that says something about you as a as a colleague and boss and publisher. So I'm glad you're sticking around and you know, weaning us off a little bit more gradually. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so uh, one thing we, we hear rumors and we know you've been here longer than anyone, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> so exactly what year did you begin working at News Data? Well, technically, I think I'm actually the second longest employee. Daniel Sackett, our IT head, uh, was, was at News Data uh, at least a little bit before me. But I started in, uh, I was hired in December of 1991. I think that would have been, if, I'm, if my memory is correct, the first Bush administration going back that far for those of you who uh, count time by presidential administrations. And I started in uh, January of 90, uh, 1992. And my first role was um, as an assistant editor at a new publication that uh, Cyrus Noy, uh, my my predecessor and and the the news data founder, had started called Conservation Monitor. Uh, He got some grant funding for that to cover the what was at that time the accelerating uh, energy conservation uh, efforts in the Pacific Northwest and the electric utility sector. So uh, then I became um, editor of Conservation Monitor. Uh, Later that year, we had a, a little shuffle of of the staff there and um so i edited that publication uh, starting uh, starting in 92 and and it continued on although it became digital in 1995 it continued on uh through 2004 so so that's the you know in brief that's the the sort of the origin story for me and and news data wow so you're already uncovering you know hidden mysteries i didn't even know about them. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a story in itself i wonder where that went <laughs> but 
What was how, how different was uh, the conservation uh, publication from news data or from clearing up and California energy markets? Good question. I had come from a newspaper background. I was a, a writer and reporter and editor for a number of uh, community newspapers in Colorado um, after I graduated from college in 1980. So for about the next 10 years, I kind of bounced around some different towns in Colorado uh, doing that. And obviously that was uh, sort of mainstream newspaper journalism. So I really hadn't done, um, you know, niche uh, uh, trade journalism uh, until that point. But I was really intrigued by what Newsdata did in terms of covering uh, the energy industry really in depth. I, I sort of fancied myself as being interested in getting into, um, what, I guess, what I loosely consider to be environmental journalism. I certainly wasn't, you know, doing it to be uh, an advocate, but to be a, a reporter. And and uh, and so this happened to pop up, and and uh, you know, all these many years later, I think um, there's it actually worked out because I think as as all of you know, there's hardly any uh, sector of our society that is more uh, has greater effect on our environment than the uh, electric and, and natural gas sectors that we cover. So. It all worked out in the end. So I think um, Conservation Monitor was a monthly publication, uh, different from, you know, clearing up in California energy markets, um, both being uh, weekly. So we still wrote the same kind of, you know, news stories that I think with maybe a little less immediacy, but it covered things like what are some of the latest um, energy conservation programs, uh, some case studies, you know, policy changes that affected um, energy conservation by utilities and, and other actors. and there certainly is a you know a whole ecosystem, if you will, of folks at that time who were engaged in energy efficiency, not just with utilities, but a whole you know literal army of contractors and and uh, other other stakeholders. So so we covered really really covered it quite in depth, um, but, but again from a northwest focus. So we didn't really cover California or other parts of the West. Given that, what it sounds like, you know, there you've seen a lot of changes. <laughs> That's another. That's a polite way of saying I'm. I'm. I've been around for a while. So <laughs> <laughs> that that is true, Abigail. That is that is very true. I'm told I, I look more distinguished these days. I think that's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> better than being extinguished, I guess, huh? <laughs> you still got it, folks. <laughs> In those early days, Mark, um, how? Can you talk about the production and how you know things were put together and how it was distributed and what what that was like compared to now? Oh yeah, it was very different. Um, I'm I'm not sure if you uh, exactly how old all of you are, but um, you know that was the day of literally we uh, printed uh, newsletters at a local uh, printing shop in in uh, what was the Lower Queen Anne neighborhood of Seattle, both clearing up in California energy markets and also our our conservation uh, publication, and they would be. They would be brought down when we were done with our production. They would uh, the the um, the the copies the you know the the printing. The, however, we I sorry I don't remember exactly how it worked, but I know we brought down um, the the means by which they printed the newsletters, and then from there they were brought back to the office at Lower Queen Anne and literally stuffed in envelopes, and they were mailed out to clients. Uh, the weeklies were mailed on Friday um, late afternoon or early evening. And the clients would get them on, um, you know, on Saturday or, or usually on on Monday. So, you know, this certainly predated. This was early 1990s. Predated really any widespread use of of the internet. So, fax machines were were humming in those days. Um, we had you know, floppy disks on our on our PCs, and um, it was, you know, we did all of our interviews either 
uh, over the phone or in person. We didn't have, you know, texts and emails. And I tell my kids about that days and they, you know, those days and they kind of roll their eyes and saying, geez, what was life like back then? So, you know, one thing that was also very interesting, I think from those, you know, if we wanted to check a fact, we couldn't, you know, go to Google. We had to literally either call someone or we had a bunch of directories and other kind of uh, things to check things like how big of electric uh, electric utility is in terms of customers. So um, certainly very, a very different from, you know, today where we're basically exclusively online. We email our, our PDF issues, but we also have our online publications now. And we actually mailed uh, copies to a, a small remnants of our, of our clients. And I think all the way until 2014 or, or 2015, um, and obviously, as you all know, I mean, you know, a journalist today is, you know, radically different. So much of the research and, and uh, interviews are, are done online in some fashion, whether it's e- email or, or um, virtual meetings or, or uh, just, you know, researching things online. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I honestly, I consider myself to be more on the Luddite scale of, of uh, technology adoption. But there is absolutely no question that things are so much more efficient and so much easier and honestly so much better than they ever were in those early days. So I, I don't miss <laughs> I don't miss things like typewriters and fax machines uh, whatsoever. We are in a much better place as as journalists today, no doubt about, How about that. Uh, I, I heard another news data colleague describe going down like to the PUC and actually going through file boxes to look at filings. Did you ever have to do things like that? <laughs> that, you know, that absolutely is true. Um, I, I actually do remember going to, uh, let's see, I think it was a library down in, um, I want to say Olympia, the, you know, the Washington state Capitol, uh, and, and looking up some energy information, uh, there and I think you know also at that time uh, you know there was, I think there was a little more of a focus on actually being present at meetings. Obviously, there were no virtual meetings of of commissions or legislatures or energy conferences like are, are so common today. So I do remember going to a lot more meetings in person. Certainly in the you know the 1990s and even into the the 2000s, yeah, even into the 2010s before you know online meetings became kind of a kind of a thing. So there certainly was. Um, more of a just a whole in-person type of uh, coverage, you know, as as journalists, not just for us, obviously, but for you know every other every other type of media outlet. So, well, yeah, that's a lot to think back on. A lot has changed, even in my career, which is not not as long as that. But uh, how about the <laughs> industry itself? You've touched on it a little bit. Um, just the changes you've seen there, um, going from the conservation especially it kind of sounds like we're in a a new wave of that um things have gone back and forth in that 30 year period or 30 and change i guess but anyway do you have thoughts on that yeah that's a that's a really big question and the way i i guess the way i look at it i'm i'm kind of a history buff i was a history major in college and i i kind of like to look at things from sort of the the sweep of history and and really since i started i see kind of three sort of distinct eras that had a, a real theme to them in talking about again the sort of electric and natural gas sectors in the in the west and in the 1990s and really even into the you know early 2000s um it was really a lot focused on on sort of the restructuring of the industry and the you know vertical monopoly utility model was sort of eroding there was the rise of sort of independent power producers and um 
the way that people, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, worked in, in in markets were uh, were considered to be, a, you know, kind of a new big thing at one time. This is kind of hard to believe. There were customers actually leaving or threatening to leave Bonneville Power Administration because their rates were perceived as being too high compared to what some of these marketers, um, you know, at least allegedly could uh, could provide in terms of power to people like uh, like BPA that, you know, Enron probably is among the most famous of uh, of them. So a lot of the I think a lot of the the issues and discussion in the 90s were really focused on trying to provide choices and, and more competition for uh, for for customers. And that certainly, I think, was a kind of, of a prevailing theme in the industry all the way until, as I think some of you are familiar with the Western energy crisis. Oh, yeah. uh, 2000 and 2001, which um, it wasn't, you know, strictly because of markets that that happened. There was, you know, low, low hydropower that year. But and there were some really flawed policies, particularly in California um, at that at that time. But certainly the, you know, the, the 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 real focus on, you know, markets will be the the be all and end all for the electric industry. I think that model um, really kind of came to a screeching halt at that at that time. So. It kind of leads me to the next uh, the next era, and it's not you know maybe the directly from that, but um, sort of the the decarbonization and renewable energy era. That's really been that's really been picking up steam in the last um, you know I'd say fifteen um, years, and certainly a lot of it's driven by climate change. Uh, I think uh, renewables are are better and cheaper and more available, and, and you know a lot of policies as as you all are well aware of and, and regularly cover both at the local and regional and, and uh, federal uh, level that really focus on on clean energy. Um, so I think that's, and, you know, in reducing greenhouse gas emissions, that's been sort of the prevailing theme. Again, since probably that, you know, really kind of got going in the mid 2000s. And I think it's only accelerated since. And, um, you know, right now, speaking of uh, sort of historical areas, I think we're still in the pretty early stages, but having to do with the, the uh, I'll, I'll call it, um, and, you know, don't sort of hold me to this as, as being the, the last word on how to describe this, but sort of the market development um, era where uh, you have, in at least in the West, you know, Kaiso's currently the only kind of ISO, RTO that's uh, that's that's operating, but you have the, the energy imbalance market, you have Kaiso and the Southwest Power Pool working on day ahead markets, you have the resource adequacy program, which isn't strictly a market, but has some some similarities to that. I think that's in a really um, kind of early stage, but it seems like it's it's really sort of in, inexorable that there will be um, a unified market or perhaps markets um, in the West. In um, I'd say certainly by you know 2030 or into the 2030s, there's too many there's too many perceived and actual benefits in terms of the economic benefits and benefits to customers and um, certainly benefits in terms of promoting uh, decarbonization. So it's really, it's a little early to know exactly how that'll play out, but I think that's sort of the the current and and future phase. And it certainly intersects with decarbonization. They're, they're really, uh, they're really linked together. So, so that's my quick sort of historical sweep. Um, Obviously a lot of other things have happened, but those are some things that I, you know, in my experience, I kind of, I guess would highlight from a historical uh, perspective. Right. So, so Mark, you know, going back, let's say twenty years, twenty five years, uh, there have been well, I mean, in the recent decades, there have been several runs uh, at make at forming an organized market outside California. Did you? And we are, like you said, we we are seem to be on a path where that's actually going to happen um, at some point, uh, you know, in sooner than later. When you look back 
to the 90s, the, the aughts. Did you think that, that we'd ever actually get to this point? Or did you just figure, well, everyone talks about markets in the West, but it'll, you know, forever founder on uh, some some point where everyone can't can't land on a, a consensus about uh, you know, some sticking point. Yeah. Um, a couple of thoughts about that. One is first, the West has always had markets um, there, as you know, they're they're basically bilateral markets. So I, I, I do kind of um, disagree with the characterization that, you know, they're now bringing, quote unquote, organized markets. It's really more centralized um, markets. But I think, you know, I didn't actually cover a lot of that directly because I was working again on this conservation publication. But I'm at least generally familiar with, the, you know, some of the early, I think there were, gosh, three or four sort of failed efforts, at least in the Northwest, to try to form a kind of a unified market uh, up here. And they all sort of foundered on, you know, some of the same sticking points that are here today on on governance and, and cost allocations and conflicts between California and the Northwest and, and a host of other, you know, familiar things. And at that time, there weren't, you know, really examples of how markets could be made to work. I think what's maybe changed a little bit is I think the energy imbalance market in particular has shown people that there are a lot of benefits of, of having, even though it's, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a small scale and, and, and really only provides a, a pretty narrow set of overall service. But I think the benefits are now, I, I believe they're in the billions. You, you all probably know a little better about exactly what the latest figures. I don't, I don't recall, but um, I think it's proven out uh, to be a really, a really uh, positive functioning market. And I think that's kind of paved the way uh, to, uh, to, to more of the market discussions now. And I think also, you know, there was so much, eh, what's the word, mistrust, at least in the Northwest towards California, the idea of trying to work with California on markets based on the Western energy crisis. There was a lot of political, um, I think, um, hangover from that. I think that's largely dissipated, maybe not entirely among some of the folks who were, you know, working in the industry at that time. But I think that hurdle is is being uh is being cleared at, at this at this stage anyway so does that answer your question Dan, or at least partly yeah no that that's good yeah yeah i think there's still some of that california fear uh out there among other states but you're right maybe improved a little bit yeah, definitely oh there definitely is in like montana and other places <laughs> well that's not true i would say it's I don't want to single Montana out. I think a lot of the West distrust California, but not as much as they used to. Maybe they're pretty. They they don't mince words about it in uh, Arizona uh, yeah. <laughs> frequently. <laughs> well, I think you know. I think that will be probably the biggest challenge. It's not going to be the technical aspects or anything like that of setting up these markets or the infrastructure. It's really going to be how it's governed, right, and how the costs are allocated and. You know, will it be California? Will, you know, EDAM, for example, how much, uh, you know, say will stakeholders in, in non-CAISO areas have? And, and um, yeah, but it seems like, you know, the political situation is such that, again, people see the benefits. And I, 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 I'm, I guess, optimistic, if that's the word, that, again, you know, in the next few years, there there will be some functioning centralized markets um, beyond that what we have today. So. Yeah, I mean, one thing that surprised me is, uh, or I just think it's interesting to that point, because I, I mean, certainly people have raised concerns about the governance. Like you said, Abigail, you know, Arizona doesn't mince words or lots of folks um, who have been pretty direct about that. Uh, and California, it's interesting that it just doesn't seem like there's a big push there to 
relinquish that governance. I'm not, and I'm not saying that like as a criticism. I just think it's, it doesn't seem like there's uh, that it's a big fight over it. It seems like they're they're uh, more than happy to uh, say, well, you know, like, hey, look, we run Kaiso. If you want to benefit from it, um, then we're going to keep the control with the with the California state government. Obviously, you know, there are plenty of entities like Pacific Core uh, who that's not that it is not a non-starter. Um, you know, they're more than willing to uh, entertain those those conditions. Yeah, I mean, that's a long time to spend on uh, a, a pretty specific thing. Um, so, uh, you know, when actually, you know, this is not we did come up with kind of like a rough list of stories, but I, I do have to ask and I, I should have asked you to think about this beforehand. Um, what's your best story about Cyrus Noy, the founder of Clearing Up and oh, News Data? Wow. So many Cyrus stories, starting from the, you know, the first time I um, I, I sat with him on the couch in his office there on um Lower Queen Anne. I mean, Cyrus was a, a really sort of a, a larger than life um, uh, personality, a larger than life uh, journalist, um, brilliant, uh, driven, ambitious, funny, incredibly well educated and learned. Um, I don't know if it's a specific story, but I guess I guess maybe one that sticks out as as you're mentioning that is. Um, our conservation newsletter was was reliant on basically grant funding um, first from um, uh, from you know kind of a, a bunch of different utilities and then later from the Northwest Energy Efficiency Alliance, uh, which kind of took over a lot of the conservation funding, including for for our uh, what was then known as Con Web. And um, Cyrus was a master at uh, arranging for people on the board of NIA to vote in support of, it had to go through a board approval process. And it wasn't a, you know, a large amount of money, it was one among dozens and dozens of projects, but it, for some reason there were there were people there who weren't entirely comfortable with uh, them spending uh, money on a, on a newsletter, basically an information service. So Cyrus um, sort of played the political back channels. I wasn't privy to a, uh, you know, to a lot of it, but I, I did hear that he was um, ultimately successful and persuading them of the value of it in his own kind of inimitable, inimitable way. So, um, which I, you know, certainly appreciate it because it kept our publication going and provided, you know, really a valuable service. I, I do think it was, it was money well spent on Nia's part. Um, it eventually ran out, you know, a few years later, but um, I think that kind of illustrates, uh, you know, Cyrus's influence in the region and his, um, and his kind of uh, business sense of when he had an idea and he knew how to pursue it and he knew how to get the stars aligned from a business perspective to uh to make it happen so yeah so that would be my favorite i, I guess cyrus story if you there's there, <laughs> there's a lot more but um that's one i can share off the top of my head so <laughs> yeah he was uh quite a colorful personality from when i can, can, can gather yeah absolutely and you know i i will i will say and and i think you've heard me say this before you know news data has been around for what 41 years now and cyrus was the publisher for what close to i guess 30 30 of those maybe 30 30 plus uh years of that and really we're still reaping the benefits of what cyrus created first with clearing up and, and then with california energy markets and 
just establishing that you know these basically niche newsletters in one industry that have lasted way over the tenure of most publications, especially specialized publications like ours. So I think yeah. all owe uh, you know a debt of gratitude to Cyrus and what he started and, and really built for you know 30, 30 years. We're still you know we're 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 doing things differently, and but we're still covering the industry in, in similar ways. Um, I think one thing I remember from Cyrus uh, was a, a quote to the effect that he was always really glad the uh, energy industry never solved its problems because it kept us in business. So, um, so that was that was a Cyrusism. <laughs> <laughs> so note note to energy you or yeah utility executives <laughs> do a good job but not too not, good a job. Exactly, exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, we've all, you know, I've been in energy journalism since 2002. A lot has, a lot has changed, a lot of attitudes towards, you know, uh, fuel types and uh, climate, you know, became a central issue mm-hmm. and was not really, uh, in those early days, not really on the radar yet, right? Well, I think that's, I think that's, that's generally true, Jay. Certainly, yeah. you know, I would say... Gosh, I, I'm hard to put a, a year on it, but certainly in you know in the late 1990s and and well into the 2000s, I guess what you'd now call climate denialism was was pretty predominant in the electric utility industry. And you know, mm-hmm. Candidly Cyrus was among the chief um, you know proponents of that view. He he opined in you know many columns about you know it's not that it's necessarily hoax, but it, it's overblown and it's going to cost too much money to really change the system. I think the science has you know, since well overtaken that that viewpoint. And I think today in 2023, there may well be folks in the traditionally conservative electric utility industry that, you know, maybe aren't completely convinced about, you know, climate change and its impacts, but I think they're vanishingly small and they're and they're very silent. So um, that's yeah. been, I think, a real sea change. I know people think the utility industry is a bunch of you know, stodgy old uh, old guys, um, and, and and you know, again, that may have had some truth, but I, I think that's um, that's changing. So, yeah, for sure, especially in California. Yeah, certainly, absolutely yeah. true. Yeah, I, I think also, you know, the fact that you were for what about 10, 15 years of your time at News Data, you were editing the uh, conservation publication, and then you know, the interest in that tapered off, and then it seemed to rise up. I don't. It kind of follows a lot of the. The pattern around um, around climate change and everything, like you, as you mentioned, you were you came in during the first Bush administration, and I recall he him saying, you know, he was going to be the environment president, and there was a lot of talk about climate change and carbon emissions and things like that in in that era around the time you came in, and then it just kind of like faded into the background uh, for various reasons, and you know, economy and interest and those you know folks wanting to push the climate denialism etc and then it, it started to really come back to the fore it seems as you said in the last 10 years or so so i don't i don't know if you care to comment on on seeing that cycle but uh it's something that seems apparent to me as a part-time in the industry you know uh, during that period and part-time just as, as an observer so um yeah, I, I certainly think um, 
A couple things. First of all, I, I think, and I think you you all know this. I mean, certainly the federal government has, and, and you know, at the federal policy level, has some influence on how energy policy is made and how energy infrastructure is developed. But it's really predominantly at the state level and the utility level that that most of the you know policy and again sort of infrastructure decisions are you know are are made in in uh, in our in our country. We have a kind of a unique. I would say, sort of um, federalism system uh, in that um, in, in that regard, and, and certainly things like energy efficiency have gone up and down, based a lot less on what was happening, uh, you know, nationally, but more so on what was happening within regions. I can't really speak as much to California, but I know in the Northwest it kind of went up and down based on Bonneville Power Administration's um, funding, and when they were in the midst of restructuring and you know really having to be careful about their costs, energy efficiency probably a little short-sighted was one of the first things that they kind of looked at to, you know, to, to reduce, they didn't need as much in the way of resources, um, which is also a factor uh, in that, but certainly there have been, you know, waves of, of ups and downs in energy efficiency, but, you know, in terms of climate change, again, I think that's been, um, it's been kind of a steady um, uh, rise in its, in its prominence in energy policymaking. And again, now I think it's, you know, in California, as you know, it's really the central organizing principle of energy policy right now, right? Oh, yeah. And, and there's no doubt about that. Uh, and there hasn't been for many years, I think, in the Northwest. That's certainly true, um, certainly in Oregon and Washington. Um, yeah. Less so, less so in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. And that's just the nature of their political systems and, and their energy systems. So, you know, that again goes to speak. It speaks to, again, the, the really the, the importance of, of kind of state and regional um, functions. Like, for example, these all these markets that we're talking about, the federal government has really, I mean, I guess FERC probably has to have some approval level. But it's, these are really driven by states and by regions, um, not by the federal government. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll say, actually, I think uh, climate change is a driver of energy policy in Montana uh, in a, in the opposite way. Um, they you know just passed legislation this past year or this year to make it so that greenhouse gas emissions are not considered when doing an environmental review for air quality permitting for a natural gas plant. Yeah, it just got overturned. But <laughs> yeah, but the climate uh, kids, I mean, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, but uh, they very much are making energy policy, uh, I guess, yeah, the um, the other side of the coin to California, Oregon, Washington. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, I think that's actually, uh, you know, I, I agree with that. Again, there are these discrepancies in, in state policies. And I think that's also been a challenge to trying to form, you know, centralized markets in the West for, I think, pretty obvious reasons. Montana doesn't want to follow California's energy policy and vice versa, even though a lot, you know, a lot of power comes from Montana and, and maybe to a lesser extent, uh, Wyoming and Idaho and some of the more conservative states in, um, you know, in that part of the West, um, in Utah. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. When your economy is bound up in coal or natural gas, it mm-hmm a lot how you how you view that impact on climate change etc it seems to me so yeah um well moving back to just you know the the more personal aspects of your career do you have like a most memorable moment uh, or proudest accomplishment as a journalist at news data well i guess maybe i'd answer that in a, in a couple of ways um 
Abigail and and you know memorable memorable moments of 30 31 almost 32 years yeah it's hard to there there have been a lot of stuff but um one that kind of sticks out as I was thinking about that um was Cyrus's retirement party in in 2014 I know I don't think any of you were were with us at that um at that stage but um we were able to bring together really a lot of kind of luminaries in the industry um around the west and and you know news data staff and and families and really, it was uh, the purpose of that was really to recognize Cyrus and what he, you know, built over the really preceding thirty years with news data and our, our publications, and really salute what you know he had started. And it was also sort of a bridge to the future, um, and not just because you know it was sort of my uh, at that time sort of taking over the the publisher role. I actually had started a few months before that, um, so there was a little bit of a passing of the torch on that, and um, sort of looking at some some new ideas and some approaches for, for news data, but really taking, you know, Cyrus's legacy and trying to, to build on us. But it also kind of showed, I think that we at news data and certainly CEM and, and clearing up and, you know, in their respective um, regions really are uh, part of the regional energy communities. And I, and I think an important, uh, you know, part, we, we were here to sort of chronicle and reflect the industry and, and it really is a community. I mean, kind of joking about not solving, you know, problems, but, you know, communities squabble and they and they argue and they have disputes and and um, you know they don't <laughs> often or always get resolved. But it's our role to kind of highlight those and chronicle those and, and help people understand them and and um, you know and do and do their work. So to me, that was kind of a memorable memorable moment, sort of a passing of the torch and, and kind of a uh, sort of a bridge, if you will, from kind of news data's, you know, origins uh, for 30 years uh, to sort of a, a little bit of a new era. So, you know, in terms of being um, proud, I, you know, try not to be too proud because that's one of the seven deadly sins, if I, if I recall. Um, but I think um, in terms of, uh, maybe I'll mention a couple. Um, one is, I think, um, Working for that conservation um, newsletter, um, I think we were we were also part of a regional energy community. It was, it was a, a subset, you know, the folks who from utilities and again contractors and and uh, private sector actors and government agencies and so forth that were active in that. And you know, it was our job to kind of chronicle and spotlight the ups and downs and the successes and the setbacks and the case studies and policies and technologies and finance and. I really think, um, you know, we we helped, uh, again, help that community kind of see itself and and understand what was going on within that community and hopefully help them, you know, move forward in, in some respect. I mean, I also think that energy efficiency is by far the most underrated part of the Northwest energy system. And I think probably true in California. Again, I'm not quite as familiar with California, but I know in the Northwest, uh, conservation programs have saved, and Dan can maybe correct me, but I believe it's something like 7,500 average megawatts since the late 70s. Wow. That's something like five city of Seattle's, uh, you know, average demand. So it's really been a huge uh, and and really underappreciated success story, and and typically at a very low cost. I haven't again been following it super closely in recent years, but um, yeah, I think that was I was pretty proud to work for you know a number of years to kind of chronicle that industry and and what it had done and what it had accomplished you know along with the warps and the the policy uh you know sure and funding problems and and so forth so it's pretty proud of that um and then i guess um maybe the other thing i'll uh, i know i know we don't have all day here so i'll keep it to uh from uh from my role as publisher and editor-in-chief i started in uh 
2014 in that role. And I don't know if modernizing is quite the word, but um, I am I am pretty happy that we've been able to kind of update and, and introduce some some new and enhanced um, services that, that complement our, our core newsletter. Um, for example, you know, we now have digital content for um, really for all of our newsletters available. We have um, events. Cyrus had done events back in the day, but they'd kind of gone on hiatus for a while. Um, we have our podcast like like this one. We have um, a podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I just couldn't. I couldn't. Well, we resist. have until you just said that, Dan. So this oh no! Oh no! Podcast. Um, Not another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, we have. Or we started as you all. You've been integrally involved with getting our newsletters out earlier on Friday. Um, we changed the the meter readings. Um, and you know, I, I again, these were these are all collective efforts. You and everyone else at Newsdata and Pioneer, um, you know, our, our owners since 2018 have been involved in in all of those. So it's certainly not, you know, my my doing. But I'm I'm pretty proud that we've been able to kind of add and and again enhance um, some of those services and give us kind of a broader base to be more of a uh, more of a broad based news and information um, services company. I think. Um, I feel pretty happy about that. I think that really does kind of build on the legacy that Cyrus, uh, you know, created. And um, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting. And Cyrus was a very innovative guy, certainly in his time. I mean, we were one of the, Conweb was one of the first um, newsletters on the internet, literally in 1995, when I think there was something like fewer than 100,000 websites, if I recall. So oh. There's a long history of innovation and it and had kind of gotten honestly a little a little stale. I mean, we were still putting out great newsletters, but um, you know, a lot some other things had kind of um, we hadn't really kept up with the times quite as well. And again, I don't want to say this is certainly not my doing. It's really been a collective effort. I did want to say, Mark, that I'm really glad that you've updated things to the point that we're no longer stuffing newsletters on Friday. <laughs> well, that was actually a long time ago that that stopped. So <laughs> right. So, but but it's a plus. In fact, you know, we're we're now working uh, in a distributed fashion, everything. So I don't know where or how we'd stuff them. So <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be pretty challenging. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from uh, the accomplishments and the memorable moments, you know, at Newsdata, what is the biggest story or issue you were involved in covering over your time here? Well, thank you. I, I did uh, kind of outline what I, I, I guess uh, I thought, hopefully not too presumptuously, the sort of historical errors. But I think the biggest story and and the and there certainly have been a lot of changes in 32 years, as we've talked a little bit about. But I think by far the biggest and most fundamental to the industry as a whole that we've been covering is the is the decarbonization of the the power system and to uh, maybe a lesser and slower extent the natural uh gas system and all the changes that has brought and and is bringing in terms of uh how power plants and transmission are planned and developed the the uh sort of evolving institutions to uh to address that decarbonization uh, the markets we've talked about markets how they're how they're being considered and informed um that just has such broad impacts on pretty much everything that the electric utility industry is is doing um and it certainly is you know driven again by policy and, and climate change but also i think you know economics and renewables are, are again the you know in in many cases the the least cost option now and and storage so um yeah i would say that um is, you know how this plays out i think that will obviously remain to be seen but i think it's i think it's pretty inevitable that by you know i'll just arbitrarily say 2040 or maybe maybe even a little earlier that 
in the Western U.S., I think it'll be virtually, if not entirely, a uh, carbon-free uh, electric system. And I also think that there's so many smart and talented and, and capable people in the industry that they'll figure out a way to do that and still keep affordable, reliable power, uh, which is obviously central to the region and our society um, at, at large. But I, I feel very optimistic that, that you know, for all the challenges that decarbonization poses, you know, eventually, um, I think they'll be addressed and, and largely resolved. Um, and that's maybe not great for news data because maybe there won't be as many problems to cover. But um, no, in all seriousness, I think I, I, I see very optimistic and good things ahead with that. I think that's the that's the the writing is already on the wall for that for that future. So I wouldn't mind covering more good news. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Do you have any advice for your successor? We just we just got to meet Matt Davison yesterday in a news data meeting and uh, just wonder if you have some parting words or some advice for him coming in. Yeah, I, I've had a, I've had really only one. Con- I would just uh, it was finalized, I believe, last week. I've had one sort of brief phone conversation and, and um, you know, certainly he was at the meeting yesterday. I think he'll step in and do a really good job. He's got a background, um, as as kind of noted, in in publishing. Um, he's got a, a lot of background in marketing and business development and um, in the digital space. And, and he's also produced some events. So I think even though he hasn't necessarily been in the energy industry per se, I think he's got a lot of attributes that'll serve him well as he's, um, as he's stepping into this role. But, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I would, you know, it wouldn't be too presumptuous to tell Matt what to do, but I would, I would and have, and, and will suggest that he really, first of all, sort of learn and understand the regional energy communities that we serve primarily in California and the Northwest and also the, you know, the Southwest and Rocky mountains. And also uh, learn and understand new status role in them, the history and the issues and the people and the institutions. It's, you know, obviously learning is an ongoing process. I'm still learning things uh, after 30 plus years. Um, so I would say that would be first. And then I say second, and, and I think of, of equal importance is to really learn about and understand news data and our people and our, our you know, our finances and our budget and, and our services and our systems and, and strategies. And, you know, as, as he gets, uh, you know, more familiar and comfortable with, um, with those sort of background um, and necessary uh, pieces of information, really take those uh, learnings and, and chart a course that really builds on, you know, the past 41 years. And obviously, he'll have to, uh, and I think it's really important for news data to continue to adapt and, and evolve in, in the ways that he sees fits um, to really serve and, and kind of meet the needs of our of our clients and the, you know, the regional energy communities and our people and, and pioneer um, our, our owners um, as well. I think it's really a tremendously exciting opportunity, not just for Matt, but for new state uh, in, in general. I see a lot of Things that are really in news, you know, kind of um, uh, uh, tailwinds for news data. I think um, the pioneer ownership has put us in a really good place in terms of not only resources, but um, support in a lot of different ways. Um, there's certainly, you know, as, as we talked about, we've had been able to introduce uh, collectively a lot of new and enhanced services. I think we got a very strong market niche uh, still. We have 95% renewal rates. Um, energy and electricity, as we've kind of indicated, will be more and more important um, around the the region. And we have, you know, I think most importantly, really, we have great 
great people on the editorial teams, on the business teams, and with our, our pioneer uh, colleagues as well. So I really see a lot of favorable things in New State as uh, favor going forward. I'm, I'm sure that uh, Matt and, and you all and, and the team will, um, will do a great job. So, Well, thank you. And uh, any parting words for news data readers or staff or, you know, this is, this is really your opportunity. Um, <laughs> Mark's last word to anyone he's touched uh, during his uh, <laughs> The subjects of our coverage, any predictions, you know, have at it. <laughs> My wife would roll her eyes at giving me an opportunity to pontificate because she knows that I probably tend to do that a little too much in my own quiet way. But um, yeah, I'd happy to. Uh, so for the news data staff, I would say um, really keep up the great work and really stay true to the foundations of, of journalism that you all practice, you know, focusing on facts, focusing on accuracy, being objective, uh, providing in-depth and really continue to strive for excellence in in uh, in every story and in every issue and and really maintain that high standard that you've all kind of created and and, and followed I mean that's really our secret sauce at news data you know our, our quality and in independent journalism it's really how it's really the basis of our credibility and really our our longevity the you know why we've been around for 41 years um, and I think um, with that with that foundation and and you know kind of maintaining those principles um, News data will keep going strong, and uh, you know, hopefully, I'll I'll be around for your fiftieth and sixtieth and seventieth and et cetera anniversaries. So that would be for news data staff. Um, for you know, for our readers and our clients, um, I don't know if this doesn't sound too self-serving for news data, but I hope they'll continue to support um, news data with with subscriptions and and sponsorships for events and, and podcasts and things like that. Um, you know, quality independent journalism. Um, isn't and shouldn't be provided free. I think we help energy professionals um, better understand and and navigate their worlds, and I think that has you know really clear and significant value to them. As I think they've they've found over the last forty one plus years, we have a you know as mentioned, I think a really high subscription renewal rate of about ninety five percent. So I would urge them to continue to support um, news data. And as far as like how they address and resolve problems. One thing I've always been impressed about, and I, you know, I don't have experience in a lot of other regions necessarily, but there really is a sort of a collaborative community spirit in the energy industries, and certainly in terms of policies. And, and there's a lot of squabbling and arguing and debates, but it, it always is done, it, to my mind, in a, you know, a generally well-intentioned and sort of almost collaborative spirit um, of, and, I, you know, co cooperation to an extent. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's all rainbows and unicorns because it's not. But I think they're, you know, in, in the Northwest and, and maybe to some extent in California as well. California, I think, has a little more fractious environment because there's so many stakeholders and, and you know, the, the issues are, are so large and challenging. But, um, yeah, I think the energy community, you know, can come together. Like, for example, in forming markets, I think that'll eventually happen, and it won't be easy or simple, but I think that will eventually um, bear fruit. And so, the last pontification that I'll share here is, you know, at News Data, we're we're a, a very small part of the you know the larger world of independent and journalism, but we are a part um, of that um, nonetheless. And and you know, I think the independent media, as you you all know um, extraordinarily well is is struggling in many cases and in many places. Um, certainly, newspapers 
at the local and community level are a, a really sad example of that. But I think that, you know, independent media is absolutely essential for a, a healthy and functioning and democratic society. And I hope news data can continue to, um, you know, serve that role in the energy community. Uh, we serve, again, it's kind of a narrow niche, but, you know, and by itself, we're obviously not going to save the world, but I, I believe we all um, need to do what we can in our individual lives to to make the world and, and uh, leave the world a better a better place. And I think I think at News Data, we, we you know, do genuinely try to, to do that. So I yeah, I feel very fortunate to have landed at News Data. It's been a, a really fulfilling and rewarding career. And I'm um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what um, the next chapters have for, for News Data and, and, and you all. It's been a it's been a great ride. So so thank you for having me. Thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks for your support of independent journalism. And you know, that's one of the reasons it's it's been a real pleasure to work here and in this exciting industry at this interesting time for journalism and uh, get to stay true to those principles. So I, I really appreciate you shepherding us in that way. And uh, I'll miss you. Well, likewise, likewise, Abigail. Yeah, but keep up the keep up the good fight, um, <laughs> as I'm sure you all will. I would say, Mark, thank you very much for taking this time to talk with us. Uh, I did have one last question before you are completely finished is, um, are you giving, doing any outrageous bonuses or, you know, raises on your way out the door? Because I thought we were, you were just going to like, my final act is everybody gets double their money, like having Ebenezer Scrooge moment. Uh, well, I'm, I'm flattered. First of all, to be compared to Ebenezer Scrooge <laughs> as a, as a uh, you know, a, a referendum on my on my leadership. But um, Dan, if that if that's enacted, you'll be the very first person to know. How about if I promise you that? I Fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you again, Mark. Um, you know, it has been a pleasure working with you, and uh, you know, I hope you know don't be a stranger. Thank you for your time uh, with us. Thank you for the time that I've worked with you. It, it, like I said, it's been a pleasure and education, and um, it'll. I've really enjoyed it and really uh, learned a lot from you. Well, thank you, Dan. Likewise, likewise uh, for you and for and for Abigail and Jason as well, and and really everybody on the CM and CU teams. I, I feel very grateful. We have a, I think, a great team in place. Uh, not only our editorial staff and on our business side, and with the, the new publisher who's just been named Matt Davison. I think you. You're all in very good hands um, all the way around at, at News Data. So I'm really, yeah, I certainly will stay in touch. And I'll certainly also look forward to seeing how News Data progresses and, and evolves and, and grows over the over the coming years. Hopefully, I'll get a free subscription. And we'll, we'll be knowing that you're reading then when we're writing. So <laughs> there you go. Continue to be generous and charitable in, in your comments uh, after you've departed. Continue. <laughs> yeah. uh, because I've, I've really enjoyed you. Um, as a boss and a leader here. So I, I wish you all the best in your retirement. Here, here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Wish you the best, Mark. Enjoyed working with you and uh, yeah, keep in touch, please. Will do. Thank you. Thank you, Jason, Abigail and Dan. Really appreciate working with, working with all of you and your, your colleagues as well. So. Thanks everybody for tuning in for this special episode of Newsday's Energy West podcast. And we wish Mark all the best in retirement. I want to say welcome to our new publisher, Matt Davison, who's starting next month. And I'm sure we'll have him on here at some point to introduce him to the community. In the meantime, uh, tune back in for our regular news podcast. And as always, you can follow our latest work at newsday.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>